You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery, hoof care and equine science with Dr Simon Curtis. Our episode today is kindly sponsored by the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partners, Pacific Coast Horseshoeing School. First post-COVID lockdown podcast, I caught up with Simon Moore uh, up at the BFBA Farrier Focus Conference, which was uh, really very successful, lots and lots of numbers. And Simon was giving two lectures there, Hindfoot Balance and Synthetic Materials. And we had an hour free and we recorded this podcast. He told me about his early life as I usually cover most farriers' early lives, uh, about starting his career in Essex, uh, which is on the east of England, and then travelling down to the very most southerly, southwestern tip to Cornwall, which for those of you that don't know England or have never been there, might be quite surprised how mild a climate it is down there with palm trees growing on the beaches and, um, and having a lovely lifestyle. We took the opportunity to look at exams because uh, my very last examination session before I finished was with Simon Moore, whereas he's a little bit more of a newcomer, although he's five years into the job, and we were able to have a look at a few insights. Anyway, listen to the podcast. We cover a wide range of subjects, and uh, he's a really good chap to hear. I'm at Farrier Focus uh, up at Stoneley in the middle of England and uh, we've been having a good conference and event here and I've spotted Simon Moore so of course I took the opportunity to grab him for a podcast. So welcome to the podcast Simon. Thank you Simon. So what are you actually doing here at Farrier Focus? Um, I'm actually doing um, two things really. I'm doing a, I've done a lecture today on hind foot balance and are we getting it wrong? Um, which is a subject that's quite passionate to me because I feel that it's an area that's quite often neglected and I call it the for- forgotten limb or limbs I should say. Um, so uh, when I was asked to do that by BFBA I thought that'd be a good one to start the topic going. Yeah, because you, you did... Um I think you gave that lecture the first time in one of my webinars, which I'd have to say was one of the biggest webinars we did, and it really got a good response. Oh, thank you. So yeah. I'm glad you're developing it and keeping it going. Yeah. Um, when people... <laughs> I've had quite high-powered owners and trying to say, oh, I don't worry about the hind end. And I would say, what do you think pushes them over that, sh- that jump? Exactly. Or pushes them over the winning line. Yeah, exactly. You know. So I'm glad you're developing it and, it and it needs to be. And I think you're doing the International Hoof Care Summit I later am, and, on. And that will be one of the lectures that I deliver there, um, as well as my um, thesis that I did for my fellowship exam um, and a couple of other things. But um, yeah, looking forward to that next, next January, 25th, 28th, I think, something like well, that. Well, we're going to meet up there. And uh, when you're, you're not working and I'm not working, maybe we'll have a bit of a mini party, which is uh, <laughs> so, the whole point about going to conferences. Definitely. 
Uh, now, let, let's get to the start of your career. Are you actually an Essex boy? No. <laughs> and, and for those people who don't know, Essex is a county in the, in, in the east of England, uh, very close to London, south of where I am. But, so where did you come from then? Uh, I was actually born in Hertfordshire, which is very close to Essex, so it's on the border. But I was born in Hertfordshire and raised in Hertfordshire, but I did my apprenticeship in Essex with a farrier called Paul Atkins, um, trained uh, quite a few farriers over the years. Really, really good teaching farrier. Not the easiest to work for sometimes, I'm sure he, he knows that I, <laughs> we, we had our differences, but as an ATF, he was so meticulous in making you analyze and look at everything that you're doing on a daily basis that it really gave you a grounding of when you, when you look at your own work, when you become a qualified farrier, because I've always said the biggest, uh, the, the worst time as a qualified farrier is when you leave your, your ATF and then suddenly you pass your exam at a C or a B, your standard goes down. There's no doubt about that. It drops down unless you're the type of person that looks and analyzes every day. And, and Paul instilled that into us to, to, if it wasn't right, take it off and start again. That was his attitude. Well, that's good. And there's always this um, balance of getting between being self-critical but not beating yourself up, mm, isn't there? Absolutely. That, that you, you know, you have to take that view and, and you have to be your own biggest critic, really, don't you? As I say, without beating yourself up about it. I think that's something farriers do badly, be critical of themselves. Um, and I think unless you are analyse everything you're doing and are asking yourself questions con constantly, why have I done that, why is it not working, etc., um, you'll never progress and you'll never move on. And um, I, I learned that at an early age. So so what type of um, horses were you showing in Essex? Um, mixture of everything really we did do quite a lot of show jumpers so show jumping was a passion of mine for a long time um my wife competed at a bit of show, you know show jumping at a fairly decent level and i shod for a lot of show jumpers in essex when i set up practice on my own and got, got really involved in it and the same as when i later moved on to um cornwall and, and did you ride yourself badly um i think every farrier has a go at riding at some point and i did compete badly and I did hunt I was okay at that <laughs> I think anyone can go hunting um, but not very for two or three seasons and then I just realized that I'm better underneath a horse than on it well, well I always say when people ask me that I, I prefer to say that I sat on a horse I wouldn't dare call it riding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny actually because um, I used to help my wife a lot when she was jumping and she she would never listen to what I said, but at the same token, would always want me to be there when she's warming up to give her advice. It was one of those classics of, well, you don't ride, you don't know, but actually, what am I doing wrong type things. It was she never said to you, does my bum look big in this then? No. She and you made the mistake of saying. <laughs> Lying. I'm sure um, you are always positive and, 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 and yeah. encouraging. Yeah. Now, tell me, I've heard, and I've heard it on the grapevine, so I just want you to confirm this. That your father was a lion trainer. <laughs> yes, he was, and uh, it was it was uh, a funny thing when I used to go to college because I, I used to tell this story to the to the lads as when I was an apprentice, and they all went yeah 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 heard that one, and I had to take photos in to prove it. There's my dad presenting lions for Robert Brothers Circus, which was 
a big circus in the 1970s um, in England and um, showed him these photos to prove that not only was he a lion tamer but I'd been in the, the ring with in him. In the den with or in the um, cave. And, yeah. and uh, chose uh, a less <laughs> a less dangerous career in shoeing horses. Um, it wasn't for me. But uh, yeah, we travelled with a circus for five or six years, something like that, um, all over the country. Hard life, but, you know, taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got my HGV at the, the age of 10. That's heavy good vehicle. <laughs> what, you were driving big trucks? <laughs> yeah, you did. At that age, you was taught to drive all of the trucks around the circus. And, um, you know, uh, I'll never forget my my dad. I probably shouldn't say this, but my dad saying to me and my brother, oh, could you go up to Grantham? Grantham is a place in the UK where yeah, one no. of the winter quarters were, the circus winter quarters. And he said could you go up to Grantham and pick the lions up for me? So off we jump in this Arctic unit, drive up there, got no license, picked it up, backed under it and drove it 200 miles back back down to Bedford. Full of lions? Full of oh. lions, yeah. Full of lions. lions. Yeah, but that was... That was well, quite a, quite a start to your life. It, after that, you must be able to face any horse. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you do, really. Um, Although nobody's ever been kicked hard by a lion. No, no, there's it's, more consequences the than, than that, yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. So, so you worked in Essex mm -hmm. after you qualified and show jumps especially, but you moved down the West Country, didn't you, to the far southwest of England, and why did you do that? Um, I met my wife, uh, my wife's Cornish, uh, Ruth, and um, there's a saying that the Cornish always go home, and it's true, she... she I don't know if she wanted to go home at the time, but we was living and working in Essex, and um, we decided that we needed a, a different type of life, really. We had two small children at the time, we was three and five, and we, I'll be honest, we didn't want to bring them up in the southeast. We wanted a slower pace of life. So the first thought was to emigrate to Australia, and I'd never been, so that was probably not a good move. Um, so we decided to go to Cornwall because she had family connections there, obviously. So we moved down in 1998 and um, for a slower pace of life, as I said, and uh, set up my business down there. And of course, the West Country, the climate there is that it is warm and mild, but wet. You never get snow and frost here. No, no, we get one frosty year if you're lucky. It does rain, not as much as you think. Not as, not as good as the, the East Anglia where Simon's from, obviously. That's a quite a dry part of the country, but um, it's a good way of life down in the West Country. It's great for the children, and uh, it was for them mainly that we moved. And you've got beaches nearby, and I think you're a surfer or a <laughs> I used to do a bit of surfing and, and wakeboarding, um, but I can't stand up on a surfboard, I'm useless, but bodyboarding, um, but wakeboarding I did, um, and which is like, um, what do they call it, when they, uh, they take towing behind a boat, that sort of, um, what's it? water skiing, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say, water but skiing. on a single board. But, so I did, yeah, a wakeboard is like a snowboard, and um, you do that on the water, and I did that for a few years, but not anymore. Too. And you could do all those twizzles and jumps? Yeah, and... well, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I thought well, I could. That sounds great. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, the, the West Country, wonderful lifestyle. Yes. And, um, yeah. and of course, 
you obviously you probably got in in time because it's become so popular from yeah. people buying second homes. Yeah, the prices are of houses. And yeah, that was another reason for going really. One was the children, but also was to to property get on the property market, and uh, the southeast was getting very expensive. Cornwall wasn't so much, but now it's caught up. Um, it's just as expensive to live yeah. in the West Country now as it is some of the home country uh, counties. So. Well, the world, it's, uh, we, we live on a small island with mm. too many people and therefore Absolutely. Yeah. you pay through the nose for any property. All right, let, let's move on. So uh, your career down the West Country and you obviously went through your associate and then your fellowship and we're going to come back to your fellowship. And then you became an examiner. Mm -hmm. And how long ago did you become an examiner? Uh, 2016, I think okay. it was. Yeah, around then. So five years, and we've examined together. We have, yep, yep. And uh, in fact, my last, my very last examination will be with you, so. It was, yeah. But it's all right, it's a good memory. We had, uh, yeah, we, we, we had quite a few candidates, and, um, and then that wasn't, we have examined more than once, haven't we, together? No, just the oh, once, that was, that, was, that was doing okay. the higher exams. Um, okay, we did it was, yeah. Which, which was really good. So, and also, ju just to let people know, the structure of the Worship Company Farrier's Examination Board, there's a largest board with about board with about 30 examiners on, but there's also the uh, executive group, because you can never make a decision with 30 people. So the executive group is six to eight, isn't it? And you're now on that, you've been I on am, that yeah. over yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what... Because you've got your feet under the table now, you've examined a few years and you're on the executive group. So do you see the exams change in direction? What, what sort of thing do you think uh, that you see coming up in the future? Um, I think as an exam board, we're always um, looking to, to modify the exam if it needs it. We're, we're constantly monitoring it and looking at it and seeing if it needs to be tweaked and, and, and changed in any way. But what you've got to be very careful is not making change just because people think you need to make change. You know, it's a, all three exams are great, great examination. They're really good tests of all the different levels, um, starting from diploma to associate to fellowship. So they have modernised and changed over the years. The associate has changed in the last four or five years, the practical part especially. Um, the fellowship changed six or seven years ago, just before I did it. Um, and I think that's a positive and in the right direction. Will they change in the future? I think they will, but I don't think it's going to be quick. It's going to be what it needs to be done, not just because it has to be done. But there's a new part to the diploma, isn't there? Because you and I yes, wrote is. the standards, and it's mm. it's to do with just trimming. In other words, I hate using the term barefoot, as you mm. know, but for the unshod horse. Yeah. Again, probably out of the three exams, the diploma exam was the one that hadn't been touched as such for a few years. And with the new standard coming in, or it came in in 2019, and we examine it for the first time in 2023, I think. Um, we've had to write a complete new, uh, the new syllabus has been written for it and a new standard. And as an exam board, because the standard has changed, we have had to modernize the exam. So there is an element of, of trimming the barefoot horse for different 
levels of work that it's doing. Um, and there's also a behaviours um, element to it as well, which is coming with the theory side of it. Um, so tell me about the behaviours. It's, it's more to do with how you are as a professional expected to behave um, towards clients. Um, you're taking in the Farage Registration Council um, booklet and the rules and policy that we, we operate under, regulation. So that will be examined as well. But how do you examine that? It's just setting questions within... We're, we're, the new paper, the new theory paper is going to now have six questions. And one of those questions has to be a behaviours question. Um, whether it be on the Farage Registration Council standard, whether it's uh, behaviours of, of how we conduct that thing ourselves, and also business. There's a business element of it as well. So it's trying to give it, not just on the horse side of it, give you a perspective of being a professional farrier. in the, in the Which in the, the first it, has got to help people better in business, hasn't it? The, I think Because the majority of farriers work for themselves and yeah. self-employed, so they need to have some idea of how to, should we say to conduct themselves? Mm. I don't want to make it too pompous. But but I I mean you and I know that one of the complaints of examiners is mm. that we were there to mark them just technically, but you occasionally got guys should we turn should we say turn up turning up in ripped t-shirts mm. with logos on and all sorts of things, and we used to think, is this a professional person? Exactly. We couldn't mark it because no. it wasn't in our remit. But will that be taken into account in the behaviours or is it purely how they answer a question? It's going to be how they answer it. You know, at the end of the day, you can't discriminate against how someone dresses. That's, Sadly. That's <laughs> whether you like it or not, that you, you, you can't do that. Um, but what, what it is doing is, I think farriers have been not very good at um, recognising regulation that we are regulated and what it's there for and I think this is where the new standard is going to examine that so we realise that we are a profession and with profession comes professional responsibilities not only to the horse but to the public and the public interest you know that is the, one of the main things that the Farmers Registration Council work under is what's in the best interest public interest as well as equine welfare and the farrier is third on the list yeah yeah and, and farriers unfortunately don't quite understand that um but it, that's what we all regulation is the same whatever profession you're in it works the it's same it's there to protect the public it's not public interest not exactly. the professional body that it's named after Absolutely. yeah no i i know that and um the other side of the coin is the farriers registration act has actually been good should we say business-wise for farriers in the UK? Oh, yeah. I, I have little doubt about that. One hundred percent. I think you know what we have got is an envy of the world. Our regulatory system. Um, it does mean that you're monitored, as in you, you've got to do things correctly. But I think that's a good thing. Um, well, the other side, you are less free, but that's the trade-off. Yeah. Let's face it. There is. It's not intrusive. Unless you let it be intrusive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, uh, you, you go your whole life you, as a farrier, you can have, without having any dealings with the Farriers Registration Council, can't you? 
Absolutely. I mean, I've been shoeing horses for 30 years uh, as, uh, with my apprenticeship as well. And um, I've only come into contact with the Farrow's Registration Council in the last five years, and that's because I now sit on you council. You sat on it, yes. <laughs> I said, so before, for, for 25 years, I had, apart from paying my retention fee every year, I had no dealings with the Farrow's Registration yeah. Council because I didn't need to. So tell me, what, what is your role on the, on the Farriers Registration Council? Um, on the Farriers, I am the BF, British Farriers and Blacksmiths Associations appointee. So and and they, there's two, there's two spaces. Our association puts two people on there. Yeah, there's 16 um, spaces on council and um, BFBA have two spaces that they appoint two Farriers to rep, it's not really represent them, but to um, be there their person on council to yeah. to make the right decisions, hopefully, on policy and, and uh, the future of Fowry. Okay. And how long do you think you're going to do that for? Oh, about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been doing it for three years now. You, you can't do more than two terms, which is a four-year term. Yeah. So eight years is my maximum. I shall do one term, and then I'll see what happens. Then. Okay. All right. Well, I won't press you more. <laughs> now... I always ask a quick fire question, so I'm going to ask you, I don't want any prevarication here. Uh, I need to know your answer. Uh, Essex or Cornwall? Cornwall. Loop knife or straight knife? Oh, uh, straight. Uh, lions or tigers? Tigers. Oh, all day. Yeah? Yeah, it's, tigers are beautiful. But your dad didn't he, he, uh, he actually did he train trained tigers. tigers as well they call it a lion tamer but his first ones he trained was five tigers five bengal tigers because they're harder aren't they than lions they so are they, yeah. they are uh yeah they're, very individual it's a funny thing to say but they're even wilder than lions aren't they yeah. <laughs> and bigger aren't they yeah. people don't know they, they are just when you get close to them they are absolutely beautiful well i only ever got close to a lion once and there was a barrier between us when right. i was in south africa and I was stunned by the size of it, and I know lions they are bigger. Are huge. I, I actually, I've just, just come on to, I've got a claw from one of the lions, one of the lions that have sadly died, and um, my dad got them, and when my dad passed a few years back, um, it was one of his, and I have it, and it, it's like on a necklace type thing, and if I, sh if I was to show you the size of this claw, you'd be horrified. It's so sharp and so huge. It's, yeah. they're, they're amazing, powerful creatures. Yeah. Right, so uh, we sort of touched on, uh, we've already touched on the exams and the future. Um, so I'm going to ask you a deep philosophical question. What I'd really like to know is what do you think is the biggest hurdle that farriers have to overcome to be successful? Um, I think their ego. I, I, for me, farriers work on their own a lot. They do their apprenticeship, which is sometimes with one-to-one, -one, there might be a few more in there, but when they qualify, they're on their own. And they have to be, to, to, to rein their ego in and to be self-critical and to progress themselves forward. Because if you don't do that, I know I touched on that at the beginning, but if you don't do that, you'll never learn and, and go forward. Um, and you always have to have your mind open to, to new ideas, new conversations. And, and I remember years ago, someone said to me, you can learn something from anybody, even a stupid person, if you listen to them long enough. That's why you came up to see me. Exactly. Mark, wasn't it? Yeah, that's why you'd be my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I think I think that's something you've got to have an open mind and you've got to not be frightened to, 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 to listen and take things on board. But you know, ego isn't so bad. Mm. You've given a presentation there today. You must have had a good feeling about it. You yeah. had a hundred people in there in the lecture room, which was a good turnout. You know, it, I have the same thing. Um, you know, doing podcasts, people might say, is a bit of an ego trip. So, so ego isn't a bad thing. I think sometimes we use it. Um, obviously, if it, it's all that drives us, and if we mm. should we say have a misplaced ego, where we end up believing, you know, our godlike status that. As you know, there's not a farrier in this world that doesn't have at least one horse owner that thinks they're a god. Yeah, yeah. The, the trick is not to believe them, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I see your point. I, I think um, I think what I was trying to say to get across is that farriers just need to be, um, that their view is not always the right one. And you, you might be right, but you've got to be open to criticism and to advice. Yeah. Um, if you shut yourself off from that you, you'll never learn um, and that's something that I've never shied away from in all the years I've travelled the length of the country learning from some of the best farriers in the country in the world um, and if you don't do that you, like I say you'll never progress and get to the levels that you, know, you can get to well that neatly takes us on to and I've left it towards the end is about why did you actually decide to embark on this journey that is getting to be a fellow of the Worship Company of Farriers? Okay, there's, there's two main reasons. One dates back a long time ago um, when I used to go to a lot of lectures by a great farrier called Alan Bailey. And Alan Bailey, one day in the middle of a lecture down in the West Country, stopped and said, where is the next future farriers providing education he said where are the next me and I looked at him and he goes you guys in this room need to step up and take over from what I'm telling you you need to pass it on and come up with your own ideas and I always remember that and it's probably way back in about 2007 I hadn't sat my associate then I'd done my diploma sat on it just worked and done what most farriers do and I thought he's right um so I, I entered my associate a few years later um, and I took my associate in 2010, I think it was, and passed it. Um, and I remember going to the presentation ceremony and Sandy Beveridge, who was my examiner, and I didn't know Sandy um, beforehand, he followed, he, I was going up the stairs at the, um, at the um, what's the, where's it called? The HAC in London. Honourable Artillery Company. I knew you'd know it because I didn't. Um, I was going up the stairs and he was running up the stairs after, I, well, he's actually after me, but I didn't know he was running after me because I didn't know him apart from examining me. And when he got to the top, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I've been trying to catch you. And I was like, oh, hello, Mr. Beveridge. And he goes, you need to go on and do your fellowship. And I was like, he goes, no, no, you do. You've done a good job. You need to go on and do your fellowship. And I, I always remember that. And we had a brief conversation. So two people pushed me to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, and it wasn't long after I contacted yourself and said, would you mentor me to, 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 be, to do my fellowship? And I was running some courses then. And uh, I, I'm 
It's one of the most pleasing things actually of my life is that I had 17 farriers on those courses and 11 have become fellows. Yeah. And I remember when I got started and I decided I was going to do this and I thought, do you know what, if I can get four or six to be fellows, then that will be mm. helping. But as I always told you, you know, I was 1%. There's only one person in that exam room and I'm not there. No, true. But I, I think it was great for us at the time. You know, we had the, uh, these mentors. Um, I had yourself, Martin Deacon helped me um, to do some, some bits and bobs and, and shoemaking side of it. I went to a few other guys um, to help with. And we got in a little group together, four other yeah. fellow candidates, Mark Trussler, Stephen Hill and Rob Shave. There you go, all fellows now. We all got together and we all did it. I call it the journey and it is a journey and um, you, you do this journey through your, your learning um, with the goal of getting a fellowship at the end of it and uh, it was a great day and I, I remember doing my fellowship practical so I did them in two bits two modules and the practical was first and when on the fellowship they tell you on the day if you've passed or failed which I think is quite a mature thing to do I think it's a great thing for yeah, it's it's not it's like that level. Students, yeah, but I think fellowship. You can take it if you fail. You're mature enough to take it. And um, so I remember passing my practical, and Sandy Beveridge, who was my examiner then, sat there and said, well, "I'm pleased to say you've passed your your practical exam." And I sort of I was a bit deflated, not because I I was so pleased I passed. And I said to him, I said, oh, I said that's really good. I said, but I'm going to miss this journey. And he goes, well, you haven't finished yet. You've got the other bit to do. Mm. <laughs> he said the hard bit. And, um, but you did feel a bit that you, 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 your journey was coming to an end. Um, well, okay, let, I'm going to come back to the journey. But just tell me what your fellowship thesis was about. My fellowship thesis was on hoof wall thickness and its relevance to hoof foot function. Um, and it was about the difference in thickness of the toe in relation as a ratio to the heel quarter um, and seeing if there was a correlation between the two looking at different breeds um, because I had this whole thing that the hoof capsule is a leaf spring so when it takes load it expands and then it comes back again um, and it is due to the thickness of that toe and the thicker the toe the more it comes back to form the thinner the toe, the less likely that's going to happen. Are you trying to tell me that we shouldn't be taking all that dorsal hoof oh, falling off? Yeah, absolutely. See, I, I've come up with a term the last, uh, I think, year, because I've given a couple of presentations and written an article, and I call it dorsal destruction. It, yeah, it is. It is. And, and just taking away that very complicated structure, what would my... It doesn't achieve anything... Um, biomechanically does it no, it just weakens it yeah because at the bottom of the foot that's where you change things biomechanically yeah. whether you want to alter break over whatever not halfway up the hoof wall there's, there's a particular need for that horse Absolutely. to have that structure I hate the term get those toes back <laughs> you, you, you're getting them back to what you're taking the, the strength away the, the foot is a free walled building you've got the toe and the medial and the lateral side of it and the back part of the foot is there to move and expand. And then suddenly the strong part of the building, of the foundation, you take away with a rasp because somebody has said, get the toe back. And you're like, no, place the shoe in the right place. 
But, but how do we change this? See, I, I wrote an article for the Farrier's Journal, uh, what used to be the European Farrier's Journal, and um, and I can't even remember, the title was something like, Get Those Toes Back, That's All We Need to Know, isn't it? Mm. In other words, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But I did a little vet box, because I have to say, and I don't want to get on the vets, but they have a lot of power, and if that's the only thing they say, and you've got a mortgage to pay, mm-hmm. then, then, and yet there's barely a farrier I know that doesn't know that that is bad and destructive. And I have to say there's barely a vet I know that realises how destructive it is. So, so we have this, we have a real problem, don't we? We do, and the only way to do it is for education. Um, you know, farriers are getting better at educating themselves and vets need to do the same. Um, because they, they get stuck in a way, they read the same books and the same articles um, without consideration, but you have to explain it to them. And I've done presentations to vets. And when you start explaining it to them, the penny drops and they go, oh yeah. Because uh, you say, well, by taking that toe back, how am, I al- how am I altering P3? I'm not. I'm altering a hoof capsule only. Mm-hmm. P3 stays in exactly the same spot. Um, the only way well, if to you're lucky, if you can, if you overdress the, the the dorsal wall, of course, it could drop a bit. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can alter it that way. Um, but the only way to alter the angle of P3 is from underneath. Yeah. Raise the heels, lower the heels, etc. Raise the toe. So by just taking the toe back alone, all you're doing is weakening the structure, and we need to preserve what we've got a bit more. Yeah. Um, and that was the whole reason for for doing the the, the, the thesis um, that I did. Um, for the fellowship and um, I, I always wanted to expand it but I haven't but maybe one day so I said I'd come back to the journey so you're still a relatively young man certainly can, in comparison to me so what are your future ambitions where does the journey take you from now oh that's a good question uh, at the moment I'll be honest I'm I'm just trying to enjoy life. I've recently become a grandfather. Um, I've got a three-year-old grandson and a, a five-month-old grandson, four or five months old now, George, and um, I'm really enjoying that. My son's a farrier and my journey at the moment is trying to push him to do his fellowship. But he's, yeah, because he's an associate. He's an associate. He's one of the youngest ever to get his associateship and yeah. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. One of the, I, I, did I examine him? You did. Because yeah. yeah. we don't get to know the surnames and no. who the fathers are. No. So I was able to, unbiased. Absolutely, yeah. that's the great system. But I've trained six apprentices and four have gone on to become associates. That's and a pretty I, high I'm, strike rate. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, um, so you should be. And I would love my son to, to do his fellowship, but um, he's got all the ability, but just needs the willpower. <laughs> just, just the motivation. And the mo- yeah, absolutely. Well I, well, I had a nephew that was such a good cricket player. People said he should have been, uh, you know, a professional cricket player. But he never had the motivation. It was just mm. a little bit of something he wanted to do, just to knock about and have yeah. friends. And so he never got there. Um, and so, yes, you can have talent and skill. You still need the motivation. You do, don't you? you do, absolutely. So I want to wrap it up there, Simon. I want to um, thank you because we both... Uh, well, I haven't been so busy. You've had a lecture to give, mm. but we've had a great time down at Focus and looking around. There's all sorts of things going on. And now, hopefully we'll go down to the bar because there's all those farriers down there wondering where we've got to. 
Yeah. And we'll be able to pint of beer. Absolutely. Definitely. So I want to thank you really for, you know, for doing this podcast. It's been great. It's been great to catch up with you. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. So uh, Simon Moore isn't just an examiner now, isn't just a very highly qualified fellow of the Worshipful Company of Farriers. He's on the exam board and he's on our Farriers Registration Council. So he touches on that. Um, A lot of talk about Farriers' responsibilities to horses and clients. But more, we got into something about Farriers' egos and he had a few ideas on that and um, how to deal with the ego, how to use it to good effect and how not to use it to good effect. I had to take the opportunity to go through his journey towards fellowship because I know a lot of farriers think about taking higher exams and they might like to get an insight to the way he got through it. And of course uh, The way I view Simon and a whole group of other newer fellows is it's a a case of handing on the baton from my generation, shall we say, to his generation. But you know, right at the very end, I think we covered probably the most important part, and that was back to technical stuff and and a passion that both Simon Moore and I um, really share and he did his whole fellowship thesis on it. And it's uh, what I now call dorsal destruction, where we're asked to strip away so much of the dorsal hoof wall uh, that we are destroying its structure. And it's demanded of us by people that really don't understand the biomechanics. And, and so we go into that uh, in depth. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.